You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. So what would you say if I asked you, what makes your face glow? A sunburn. Oh, but on a serious note, being with somebody I love and who loves me, having that close encounter makes me glow. Yeah, a special encounter with someone you love especially. Well, today, Moses is going to have one of those special encounters, and he'll come back with his face glowing Glowing. today on More Than Ink. Yes, this is More Than Ink. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, here we are again looking into God's Word. It's it's our delight to do so. I hope for you too. And uh, and if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we are in Exodus. In fact, coming come to a closing down Exodus. You mm-hmm. know? We've got the last few chapters ahead of us. The last few chapters, yeah. we got all the instructions about how to build a tabernacle and what to put in it and how to build those and how to clothe the high priest. And we got that all set. But we haven't quite started building it yet we had we had the episode in the middle with the golden calf unfortunately and the destruction of those two original tablets but now, but now here we are in the middle of chapter 34 it looks like we've successfully finished our second time on the top of the mountain Moses has at least with God and he's bringing down the 10 commandments again again uh, not to be destroyed <laughs> this time fortunately but as, uh, as Moses comes into the camp, uh, a strange thing is apparent about Moses, about his time with God. He's, he spent how long? Uh, well, he's been up there 40 days and 40, 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. And just at the end of the passage we talked about last week in uh, verse 28, it said, you know, he had been up there all that time and he neither ate bread nor drank nor water. Drank water. He yeah. had been solely focused and sustained by God. Yes. In God's presence. Yes. For those 40 days. So the people are thinking, like last time he was up there 40 days, well, we don't know what happened to him. Don't know well, what happened to him. Well, this time they know he's up there for another purpose, or the well, same purpose actually over again. And in fact, if they know he hasn't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights, I'd expect him to look pale and emaciated and just kind of oh, that's an interesting used thought. up. I mean, yeah. he's, he's gone. So, although I don't know if they, they, I'm not sure they knew that he wasn't eating, but I mean, it's been 40 days, so... We'll see. So now he does come down, and he does not look pale and emaciated. <laughs> he looks like something else. Why don't you read for us? If you're following with us, we're in chapter 34 of Exodus uh, in verse 29. Verse 29. And this is where he comes okay. and sees Israelites. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Mm. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Mm. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Well, let's stop there. Yeah, let's yeah, stop there. So his face was shining. Well, yeah. So <laughs> what do you make of that? Well, it's consistent with a lot of other people we know of who've 
been in God's presence? Well, not a lot. A lot? I can I'm only thinking, think of one. I'm thinking Stephen. Yeah, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, when he was uh, oh, in, okay. in Acts 6. But there's the appearances of Jesus, you know, like in the Transfiguration. There's this kind of glowing okay. white. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, <clears throat> the, kind the of instance idea. with Stephen is a little bit different. Jesus yeah. is the one that comes to mind for me yes. in the Transfiguration when the exact yeah. same words are used, yeah. that his face was glowing so bright they couldn't look at it. Yeah. So, you know, my thought was... Um, first of all, why is his face shining? Uh-huh. And secondly, why were the people afraid of him because of that? Yeah, because it says they were afraid to come near him. So as right. he's coming down and coming near to them, they're all backing away. So he's been gone a long time. Yeah. Maybe they're afraid because they don't know who he is and he's visibly transformed. And they're like, who is that and what has happened to him? We're not going near this guy. Yeah, he looks <clears throat> he looks out of worldly. I mean, it just doesn't look right. Plus, the last time, the last time he came down from Mount Sinai, you know, that was the Golden Calf episode. You know, it, it, it got pretty ugly for a while there. So here's this guy who's been in contact with God, who is the judge of all. I wonder if that's kind of overshadowing this a little bit as well. They're saying last time he came down, you know. It got pretty ugly, and but now he's coming back. And we haven't we haven't been doing the golden okay, calf thing. You say it got pretty ugly. It was horrible. It was like, pretty ugly. Undersells it, right? Yeah. There was the judgment on the people for making the golden calf, but then there was that incident where the people died. They died. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was a uh, an execution of the worst of the idolatrous leaders. Well, so that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like. You, when you're in the presence of God, who we know is the judge of all, who knows about sin, and here's his representative who's been with him 40 days, you know, you kind of hold your breath a little bit. Mm-hmm. However, that's not the issue here. The issue is, is his face is shiny. His right. face is letting right. off light. So why would that be? Yeah, why right? would I, that be? I had a couple of thoughts about that. Okay, if what'd you, you remember, uh, back in chapter 34, he mm-hmm. has just had this face-to-face encounter with God. Mm -hmm. In in chapter 33, God had told him, here's what I'm going to do for you. But in chapter 34, in verse 5, and we read this a couple weeks ago, it says in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as Mm -hmm. he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses made haste to bow low to the earth and worship. And then he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray. So he prays with boldness after seeing the Lord pass mm-hmm. by. He doesn't have a clue that his face is about to shine. Right, right. right. But he has spent these days in this eyeball-to-eyeball encounter with God and been transformed by it. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. seen God renew the covenant. He has uh, experienced this incredible relief of God's relenting and God's reestablishing the covenant accepting Moses right what drove Moses up there in the first place was God I want to know you Mm -hmm. show me your glory yeah so you think the shining is uh indicative of the glory of of being in the presence of God's glory receiving his word being accepted finding favor in the face of God I think it's all of that yeah and I, I I agree with that totally and I think too it makes me think of the moon because the moon doesn't create any light by itself, but it reflects a greater glory of the sun. And in a sense, this glory that, that he is shining is not really self-generated. 
This no. isn't Moses' no. glory. This is kind of the bounce off light from being in the glory of God himself. And yet there has been a transformation for Moses. Oh, there has. Because remember, yeah. he went up there and he said, God, I can't lead these people. I don't understand you. I don't yeah. get you. Show me your glory and prove to me or show me that I've found favor in your sight. And mm-hmm. when he's come back down, he knows he has found favor in God's sight. God yeah. has shown him favor and so i think that accounts for a a transformation and yet this isn't for his benefit no this is for the people's benefit i mean they're the ones that react to what they see here it makes me think too many times we talk about this this uh idiom of coming near to god is coming to his face because Mm -hmm. when you when you know when you face someone you're in their (laughs) presence like you know you're going to face the judge when you go to court there's this kind of near presence there's some there's some implied justice implied by that because of the righteousness of God. But it's always, the, the idiom is always about the face. So I, I've always wondered whether the shining Moses' face means that he has been with God and been in his face in that sense. Well, you know? I would agree. I mean, we still use the expression, her face was glowing. When right, we talk about right. a bride coming face to face with her intended husband yes. at the altar, right? Whoever doesn't talk about brides as glowing. Glowing brides, right? yeah. Right. Or, you know, it, it, the effect of a very glorious encounter with someone you love and who loves you, you come away with your face glowing. Glowing, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it. I, I think that's kind of in view here. And then, you know, when you have a really bad sunburn, you feel like your face is glowing. <laughs> I, yeah, Even in I, the dark, yeah. I wonder if there wasn't something of that, that Moses had actually been physically affected by these yeah, days. Could, in the could be. In the unveiled presence of God. But I think for the people, they can clearly deduce that he has been in the presence of God, in the face of God, because Moses' face is glowing, not not the rest of him. It's not like there's light coming out from under his robe or off his hands. His face is. So this is clearly one of those things. And in fact, he used that idiom not too long ago when they talked about the tent of meeting where where Moses would meet with God face to face. Face to face. Like a man meets with his friend. So clearly he's been face to face with God and his face shows it. So there you go. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning. It's a silly kind of point, but um, when uh, when this word "shown" was translated into Latin back in the fifth century into the Vulgate, they saw the word and translated it "horns." <laughs> so, and the reason I bring this up is because are rolling up in my head. Well, I know. <laughs> Where are you, you going with that? You know, I'm a master of trivia. Here. Well, the, the issue is, uh, it actually in one of the Psalms it is translated "horns" because it means something coming out of, radiating out oh, of. Oh, radiating out. And okay. horns radiate out of a calf, and you know they grow the horns and stuff like that. And it's actually it's actually not a bad translation when you find where it is in one of the Psalms. But the issue is, is that then for the early church who worked off of the Latin Vulgate in the early church, you know, uh, starting fifth century sixth century going forward uh they always thought that moses had horns because it said in the latin he had horns that's right ridiculous here. i know so what, <laughs> so translation is important so when you get to this <laughs> when you get to the 16th century and michelangelo has been tasked with creating a statue of moses it's still that to this very day moses has horns on his head so if you ever see that and say hey why does moses have horns or anything from that era it's because they sort of mistranslated this word. This thing means just means literally to radiate out from. It. it I looked it up because I hadn't looked at it for a couple of years. It means to send out rays, something that comes out of you. Okay. So this light is coming out of him. That's what's going on. Let's but, move on to the veil. But if you're ever confused, <laughs> if you're ever confused by why does Moses have horns, it's from this verse right here. It's from right here. 
Misinterpreted, yeah. Okay. So let's move to the veil. So anyway. Well, the, the last part that we just read was when he finished speaking with them, he puts a veil over his face. Yes. Now, why does he do that? Because but, but in his first talking with them, he wasn't veiled. He wasn't so veiled, but they were backing him, away. Yeah, he put a veil on his face after that was done. So that takes us to verse 34. Okay. So whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. So from me. this point forward, he he veiled his face so they wouldn't see the shining or well, wouldn't distract them. Yeah, except in First or Second Corinthians three, when ah, Paul talks about this, three. he says, "Behind the veil, the glory was fading." Yeah, yeah. And Moses kept the veil on until he went in before the lord which would renew the radiance right i find that interesting yeah it's a it's it's the only other place that i know of in the bible in second corinthians 3 where it where this veil is talked about and paul talks this particular one this particular one and and it's interesting because in paul's discussion in second corinthians 3 he's talking about uh, the comparative differences between the old covenant and the new covenant and how the old covenant which we're seeing right here you know, the Ten Commandments on stones. The Old Covenant had a great glory, and the New Covenant, through Christ, where the Spirit writes the law inside our hearts, is a, is a much greater glory. So he's making this argument about the fact, hey, they both had glories, and but but this second one, this second covenant, is a permanent covenant. The first one was kind of temporary, and that's what we're looking at right here. And as he contrasts those glories, he said, look, if they, if they couldn't stand to be in Moses' presence when his face shown because of the glory of that old covenant think what the glory of the new covenant is so if you don't know what i'm talking about go read it's it's almost all of chapter three of second corinthians well yeah and maybe we'll have a chance to read some of it before we get to the end but let's talk about the veil for a minute why do you veil something i mean the veil has received some text in in exodus up to this point right remember that's what was called in in the the temple the thing that hangs in the tabernacle it's a it's a thing that's put up to separate, mm-hmm. and only the high priest could go through it once a year, right, right. carrying the blood of the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So, you know, this idea of the veil separating something. So if Moses is wearing a separating thing, he's separating them from his glory? Okay, well, he's taking the veil off when he goes in to talk to the Lord, right? but he's putting the veil back on when he comes out to talk to the people. Right. Okay, let's just just track with me here. Okay, so go with in it. the in the New Testament, we have in Hebrews talks about the veil being his flesh, Jesus's mm-hmm. flesh, right? And that he entered within the veil, he passed through the veil. If it's a separation, mm-hmm. then Jesus, our high priest, passes through that separating thing. Right. The right? thing that keeps people out. Yes. Yeah. And then Isaiah 25 talks about how there will come a day when God will lift the veil that's over all mankind. And it mm-hmm. says right there, mm-hmm. decoded, the veil is death. Yeah. Right? So Jesus, our high priest, has passed through death in order mm-hmm. to secure the way into the Holy of Holies open for us. Yes. Now, that's a lot of unpacking to this imagery of the veil that's hung up in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But Paul alludes to it when he says Moses, you know, covered because their hearts were veiled, their yeah. minds were veiled, they, they were separated from the reality of the holiness of God. Yeah. By the veil. Yeah. So if you just remember the veil is a separator, 
Mm. Uh, not because it's a wall, but because it's something much less than a wall, but it's still a separator. And, you know, in a real sense, when he talks about Jesus being that separator, Jesus being the veil, uh, his role as judge also keeps keeps mm-hmm. people who are not righteous from the presence of God himself. So he's that as well as the one who walks through the veil. He's the one that walks through this, the thing that keeps man from coming in the presence of God. So the veil imagery is very powerful. It's many places. In fact, at the end of that Second Corinthians 3 chapter, he talks, he switches the metaphor a little bit and says that even to this very day, the Jews who don't understand the new covenant, they have a veil over a their veil hearts. veil over their hearts. separating yeah. them from understanding the truth. So the veil is that separator. And here in this particular case, it was used in order to keep the people from being too weirded out by the shine that they're seeing. I'm thinking maybe we should read some of this 2 Corinthians 3 passage. That's a good uh, idea. When Paul says uh, 2 Corinthians 3, he's talking about the, the contrast between glory that fades and mm-hmm. glory which remains. So picking it up in verse 12, having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that tells us behind the veil, the glory was fading. Right, right. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Through Christ, yeah. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he's talking about how under the new covenant and the presence of God's law written on our hearts is an internal experience of his presence within us, longing and experiencing his righteousness. That we are being transformed by that and changed, and it bears evidence in our lives. Yes. People see the change yes. in us. Yes, and, and he was saying if the people here at the bottom of Mount Sinai were totally freaked out by the shine of the glory, of right. his exposure to the glory of God, uh, he says what a contrast it is for us who are in the new covenant because of Christ, because of what he's done for us. In 18, so we all with unveiled face. Right. It's not necessary for us to veil our faces anymore or veil anything to keep us from the glory of what the new covenant is, what Christ has done for us. So we actually behold the glory of the Lord. And they couldn't behold the glory of the Lord reflected in the face of Moses. But he says, we are different. Well, we behold the glory we of the Lord. see the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ. Yes. That's where Paul goes much, on much in chapter different. 4 in Second Corinthians, uh, when he says, uh, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right. And then a couple verses down, he says, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, glory of God. in the face of Christ. Yes, yes. And instead of the glory of God in the face in of the Moses. In the face of Moses. That's the, that's the clear contrast he's making. Right. This is 
these the second Corinthian passage in three and four, chapters three and four, is probably the most closely tied to what we're reading right now in Exodus thirty-four. I mean, it's a direct connection. And when when Paul reads Exodus thirty-four, right here, what we're reading, right, he sees the connection between the old and the new covenant, and between the veiling or the not veiling, and between how we can handle the glory of God or not handle the glory of God. And so, so I, yeah, I'd recommend read chapters three and four of Second Corinthians because you'll you'll see this passage right here in Exodus thirty-four as the is the tight connection and i don't know anywhere else in all of scripture where these two passages well this passage particularly yeah, paul is, is literally is writing so commentary used. yeah he's this. really giving us a bigger understanding because if you just read this exodus passage you, you sort of get what's going on but paul expands it for us as a learned pharisee he understands the old testament quite well and he understands the new covenant through christ quite well and ties so, them together for us the question is did moses understand all of that uh, really good you know, question. we really don't know that. There's nothing in the text that indicates that. It's yeah. written really from a very pragmatic point of view. Yeah. Moses yeah. speaks to them. He First, he doesn't know his face he is He doesn't glowing. even know it. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. There, there may be some theology in that, too. But, uh, <laughs> but when he becomes aware of the effect on the people, he veils himself, and then he keeps the right. veil on, Paul says, because the, the, the glory is fading. Yeah. But when he comes in before the Lord, because he now is in this relationship with God of acceptance. God has shown him his mm-hmm. glory mm-hmm. in a very literal way. Yeah. Moses said, I don't, I don't need this veil in here. God, it's just you and me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But when he comes out, he speaks to the people and they see his face shining and then he puts the veil back on. Yep. But says, yeah, it seemed like they could tolerate it the first time, right? But then after that, he, he reveals when he goes to them. I think it's it's nice to point out too, going back to Second Corinthians three, it's it's pretty fascinating. We talk about the fading glory of the old covenant, you know that mm-hmm. this is the law on stones, um, but Paul Paul honors it in chapter three. He honors the glory of the old covenant. It's just passing, is right? The pro- is the problem? It had glory. But listen to what since you're since you're experts now on the Ten Commandments and writing them on stone <laughs> and stuff like that. Listen to what Paul says when he references the Ten Commandments as we're getting right here on Sinai. And I'm reading out of chapter three of Second Corinthians, verse seven. He says, "Now look, if the ministry of death, which is what he called right. this, carved in letters on stone, we know what that is." came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Hmm. So when he when he characterizes the Old Covenant, it has great glory, but its glory is in the fact that it points out the problem of sin. Right. And it, and it brings us to this idea that sin will bring death. It's the ministry of death. So what I've always characterized the Old and New Covenant is the Old Covenant kind of uh, specialized on the bad news. The bad news is right. all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you want to find out if that's true, look at the law. Look what's written on those stones of uh, on those stones that he's carrying. Those are an indictment about the fact that we are all deeply and and lethally flawed by sin. And that's what that's what Paul characterizes as the ministry of death. Now that's bad news, but it's necessary news for us in order for us to find a savior to bring us out of that. And that's what the new covenant is, is that Christ has brought us out of that. And a new covenant, and instead of having to have these stones that have the indictment of how far we fall short, now we have the very definition of righteousness written on our hearts, which means it doesn't indict us, it actually is part of who we are. Righteousness is something that we want to be, and he has created it inside of us. 
that's the thumbnail sketch of Old Covenant, New Covenant. But I, but again, go back and read chapters 3 and 4 of Second Corinthians. You'll see the connection to this whole Exodus again. Well, and I would say even if you're reading in Second Corinthians, press on through chapter 5. Because Paul oh, says sure. at the end of chapter 5, and this is kind of the, this is the clincher about the the movement from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. Verse 21 of chapter 5, He, God, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he there became is. sin. He right. experienced the death that should have been ours. Right. Tore the veil the and opened the way. of the ministry of death. Yes, so into the presence of God. So yeah. uh, it, the this is a monumental picture yeah. here of Moses and the veil, and we have just bounced all over the place. <laughs> but I'm hoping that what we've done is just stirred an appetite in you to dig into these things on your own. Yes, yes. I hope you'll find yourself reading about the transfiguration, yeah. especially in the Luke account where Luke tells us that he was talking with Moses and Elijah, and they were talking about his accomplished work, his his um, when his he was going to depart right. when his work was accomplished right, right, right. just before going to the cross or after going to the cross. So uh, you know that tells us that this accomplished work of Christ is the pivot point between mm-hmm. the old covenant and the new totally, covenant. Yeah. It opens the way for God's presence to indwell us and transform us from the inside out. Yeah, and uh, you know we can we can leave this taking Paul's admonition from Second Corinthians three. He says you know. The people of Israel couldn't handle the glory of the old covenant mm. through Moses. But he says, that's not true with us. We are bold. We are unveiled and we and we take the we take the veil off. We're not restrained at all. And we talk about how good the good news is in the new covenant with Christ and the fact that we've been redeemed from the ministry of death. So he says, We're bold. And that's his point in chapter three. We are bold. We are not restrained. We are not we in fact, let me read it. He says, twelve. In chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. And yet I bring that up because often when we talk about Christ in secular culture, we feel like we need to veil Hmm. who he is to some Mm -hmm. degree. He's saying, nope, not for me. I'm bold about this because that's how good this good news is. No veils. We're we're bold. We're letting it all hang out. We're going to shine out. We're going to radiate out this light about who Christ is. Because it is such good news. It is such good news, yeah. Well, hey, we are we are sort oh, of, out of, time. out of time. We I, we did bounce around a lot, but this this particular seemingly you know trivial little section in Exodus actually has gigantic connections with the Apostle Paul and all he taught about. And with Jesus. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so next time, come back with us. We're actually going to start the process of building the tabernacle, and we're going to go into chapter 35, and it's pretty exciting. So join us next time here on More, More Than, Than Ink. Ink. Than Inc. is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Special face. <laughs> That's not good.